Amen. Amen. Let's, as we have a seat, let's turn to Luke chapter 24. I want to wish everybody here a, a happy Easter. I hope that you're having a good one so far, and I hope that uh, all afternoon and all evening will be a great resurrection day for you. You know, as I noticed in these testimonies that we've heard just a few moments ago on our video, I noticed one thing really kind of ran like a thread throughout the testimonies, and that is all three of them felt kind of helpless. All three felt powerless in their life until they called upon the power of God. Lawrence Punter was a young man who found himself in Tulsa, Oklahoma in an alley, sleeping in the alley for months on a mattress that he had pulled out of the dumpster. Every night he would sleep. Sometimes during the day he would sleep. He would only receive maybe enough money from begging to, uh, have, uh, to buy some food. And he noticed that he was happiest when he was sleeping. He, he said in his testimony, he said, you know, I even, you know, The Sound of Music. How, how many of you remember that movie? He said, I dream about movies like The Sound of Music. And instead of just watching it, he said, I'd be in there dancing and singing with them. He said, I just, I just love to sleep. So one day he decided that instead of buying food, he would buy sleeping pills and he would sleep forever. And he was holding them in his hand wondering how in the world he really got there. Well, Lawrence was born to a mother, a single mom. He, she, he lost his dad. His dad ran away before he was even born. So there's nobody in the waiting room, nobody welcoming him into society and to the world. His mom didn't want him, so she shipped him off to Antigua and where to be raised by his grandmother. And after the first seven years, after he had friends, he had school, he had a grandmother that loved him, she shipped him back to New York City to live with his mom because she felt like he needed to know his mom. Well, his mom beat him. She, she couldn't stand him. She hated him because he looked just like his father. He joined a gang because that was really the only uh, recluse that he had, the only protection in this community. But he found himself being very good at basketball, so much so in sports, that he gained confidence in his life. So he was going to prove his mom wrong, and he wanted to become a pilot. So he saved up his money, moved out to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and went into pilot school, pilot training school, and got a job at Denny's. Well, the recession hit, and he lost his job at Denny's. And they promised him, as soon as we can, we're going to hire you back. But that call didn't come. He slept with one friend on one sofa and another sofa, and pretty soon he outlived, uh, really outlived his welcome in most of his friends' homes. So he just thought, I'll slip one night. He just started sleeping in the alley. Very depressed, very helpless, very powerless as he held that, those sleeping pills in his hand. We'll come back to that story in just a minute. But maybe you're sitting here this morning. You say, I've never been that desperate. I've never been that helpless. But you've been helpless. You felt powerless in your life. And maybe you're sitting right now, you're sitting here today, and you're thinking, look, I've got things going on in my family. And I've prayed about it, and I've prayed about it, and I've asked God to do something great, and nothing's happening. I feel powerless. I've been trying to patch up my marriage, somebody else says, and maybe I've waited too late, but I'm willing to do anything, but they won't cooperate. I feel powerless. You're looking for that job because you've lost your job. Or you have a job right now that... You, you can't make a living on that job, and you just feel powerless in your life. Well, the Bible tells us in Psalm 62, 11, it states that once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that all power belongs to God, 
And you're thinking, yeah, okay, God's all-powerful maybe, <clears throat> but how do I get that power in my life? We're beginning a series of messages today on maximum impact and really seizing the four sources of God's power in your life. Next week, we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit. The following week, the power of prayer. And then finally, the power of a surrendered life. But this morning, I want us to look at the very foundation of what we're talking about in Christianity, and that is the power of the resurrection. It took a miracle for God to raise Jesus Christ up from the grave. It took power. It took a supernatural power in uh, his life and in his action. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead can live in your heart today. Now, we've said before that all-powerfulness, sometimes we begin with the wrong definition of the fact that God's all-powerful. Somebody says, oh, can he, can he make a round square? Can he lie? Can he cheat? Can he? No, he can't do any of that because all-powerfulness of God can be defined by saying God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, within his perfections. And that's very important because part of his perfections is his love, his grace to you, his mercy to you. He's not going to want to do anything and perform anything in your life, even in a supernatural way, no matter how badly we want it, when it's bad for us. It's within his perfections. But we're looking this morning at the power of the resurrection. And really when we're talking about the resurrection of Christ, there's really two questions that we need to ask. One, did it happen? And number two, so what? Many of you today maybe believe this actually happened. Some of you don't. But others feel like, okay, it happened, but so what? What does it really mean to my life? Well, so we're going to be looking at the fact that the resurrection is real, it is relevant, and finally, it is rewarding. Luke chapter 24, we begin reading in verse 1, where Jesus Christ now had died on the cross. He was buried, and it looked like everything was help, hopeless, helpless. The disciples were powerless. They felt like it was all over. Everything that they had that poured their life into the last three and a half years had ended. But God had, of course, other ideas. Verse 1, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, the, the reason it was within the three days, it was, it was believed by the Jewish culture that within four days, the spirit left the body. So you had to anoint the body before the four days were up. So this is on the third day. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, and he rise. Now, the Bible tells us, certain things about Jesus. In fact, we know certain things about Jesus Christ, even in history. Study the history books. Number one, there was a man by the name of Jesus, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. We know that. We know that he lived his life for approximately 33 and a half years, and he claimed to be the Son of God. Then he died on a Roman cross, and the grave was empty on the third day. Now, how do you interpret those events are under the story? But that is what we know for sure about Jesus. Now, we come to the point where the grave is empty. Suddenly now, there's a wonder. There's, there's, a, there's a hope, but a wonder. What in the world is going on? The disciples, in fact, did not really believe it at first. Look at verse 12. Peter rose and ran to the tomb. He had to see for himself. 
Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And so the Sunday morning came, and we need to realize here of what, what, happen, what happened in the, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the fact that it shook the world of that day. Sometimes we don't think about that. The Roman world was shook in that day. In fact, the stone was rolled away, and the Bible says that on the cross, the earth quaked during that time that he was on the cross. So the earth, the world itself, felt the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then it shook the Roman world. You know, three centuries later, about three centuries later, the Roman Empire was taken over by Christianity, not militarily, really, but it was taken over because of the testimony, because the life changed, because of the love of God that people saw through other believers. They, they saw them changing. They saw them loving people. When the plagues hit, everybody ran. But not only did the Christians take care of their own, but they stayed behind and even took care of people in the street that they didn't know. The testimony was great. The testimony was wonderful. And it brought Rome to its knees. But it also shook the religious uh, establishment at that time. Up to this point, you could describe every religion in the world by the word do. You had to do something in order to gain favor with God. You either had to do some ritual, you had to work hard enough, you had to be good enough. Now we have a faith because of the resurrection of Christ, proving who Jesus was, proving who he is today, proving for what he, he did on the cross. We have a religion that's to be described by the word done. Everything that we need has already been done for us as Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood for us on the cross to pay for our sins. And so as we look at this, we ask ourselves the question, yeah, but it did happen. See, it's like a house of cards. If you ever doubt your faith, you have to ask yourself one question. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Because if he did, everything stands. Everything is authenticated. Who he is, what he did, everything. If it's not true, then we're just doing a religious exercise this morning that means really absolutely nothing except for the fact that it just maybe gets up, gives us some encouragement and comfort, but it's not real. So is it real? As we look at the resurrection of Christ, there are many people that have tried to say it's not true and this is the reason why. It's amazing to me as I study history that nothing really took hold, no argument took hold until about the 18, in the 1800s. 1800 years after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then the first arguments came out about the swoon theory. He didn't really die. He was resuscitated. Nobody really believes that anymore. Uh, you know, it, you know, there's no way that you can go through the beatings that he went through and die on a cross and a Roman guard pronouncing you dead, blood and water coming separately from your body both at the same time, and you can possibly believe somebody didn't die. So there are three possibilities, real possibilities, of what happened at the resurrection of Christ. Number one, his enemies stole the body. Number two, his friends stole the body. Or number three, he rose again from the dead. Three things. Well, if his enemies stole the body, they certainly had means. All they had to do was pay off the guards that kind of owned Rome in their hip pockets, you might say. That's all they had to do. But what was the motive behind that? They wanted to kill Christianity, not raise it up. They thought when they nailed Jesus to the cross, that was it. Everything was done. And so they put Roman guards at the tomb so the disciples could not come in and steal the body. 
And besides that, if they really wanted to kill Christianity, all they had to do was produce the body. <clears throat> if they stole the body and the disciples started preaching the gospel, all they had to do was come in and say, look, here is the body of Jesus. It's all a hoax. It's nothing. And Christianity would have ended right there in the first year of his existence. So the second possibility is the disciples stole the body. In fact, if you look in Matthew chapter 28, that was the rumor that was first spread, even though it never really caught on. The disciples stole the body. Well, first of all, the disciples didn't believe he was going to rise from the dead. No evidence of that. Second of all, even though they would have a motive to keep their religion going, they had no means. They couldn't get to the tomb without either killing guards, putting them to sleep, some kind of big plot. But we see from the Scripture, and we read a little bit from history as well, that at first they didn't even believe that he had risen from the dead. And so maybe they had motive, but they didn't have means. Now, here's the question. Here's the question. Why in the world would they die for their faith if they knew it was wrong? Now, you say, well, Pastor, I, wait a minute. I know that you know, if you've studied anything about Jim Jones and some of the cults, there's a lot of people that die for their faith. That's true. But they die for their faith believing that it's right, believing that it's true. If the disciples died for their faith, they would be the first and only ones that we know about in history that would have died for a faith they knew was wrong if they had stole the body. The Bible says there's witnesses. Now, if you believe the eyewitness accounts, here they are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul was writing a letter to the church at Corinth. Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He had really became an apostle after the resurrection of Christ, as Christ appeared to him. And he was writing a letter to the church at Corinth, not because they were doubting the resurrection of Christ, but because they were doubting their own resurrection. They were, they were doubting the so what, not the, real, the reality of the resurrection itself. But let's read about it. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance, Paul says, also I received that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, that he might appear before Cephas, that was the apostle Peter, and to the twelve, twelve apostles, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Now, James was the brother of Jesus. Now, pause for just a moment. What would it take for you to believe that your brother was the Son of God? I'm just saying. But James, who did not believe it at first, came to believe it after he appeared to James. We said 500 people, they're alive today. Now that, that is, that's really important. He was talking to people that were still alive. Let me, let me put this in perspective a little bit. I was around when 9-11 happened, when the terrorists came in and attacked New York. I remember where I was. I remember the news reports. I can remember it almost as though it was, I could put myself there um, even today. That happened 17, almost 17 years ago. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, sometime between 16 and 18 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was fresh. The people were still alive. He had eyewitnesses. He couldn't say, well, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There are 500 witnesses. And people say, what 500 witnesses? What are you, ta what are you talking about? In fact, he was appealing to the church at Corinth. And he says, you know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There are people there 
that can attest to that. They saw him, and they weren't doubting that because they had their testimony everywhere in their city as well as other cities around. And so they were eyewitnesses to this. N.T. Wright says this, if there had been only an empty tomb and no sighting, maybe we could believe someone stole the body. If sighting but no empty tomb, probably just hallucinating, even though I don't know how 500 people could hallucinate at the same time, but same hallucination. If the first two, but no change in the people in the world, we have to wonder. Only when our three, all these three things happen together, we have the great proofs of the resurrection. Dear friend, what we see here in the Bible is a culture shift, a worldview change. Now, if you study anything about philosophy, you'll understand it takes sometimes a hundred years for a philosophy to get into the hearts of the people. Rousseau said centuries ago, man is basically good, but no one really bought into that until the middle of the 18th century. We have humanism that man, not God, is at the center of the universe. You heard about that a lot, I think. Uh, it has to do with the naturalism. It, it didn't take hold for 50 years. It takes time for a culture change to happen. This happened overnight in the lives of the disciples and the lives of people in the world. So we have a choice. We can either believe the disciples stole the body, the enemy stole the body, or Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, I've studied a lot about this stuff. And there are times in my life, just like there are times in your life, you get discouraged, especially in my younger days, get discouraged. And you think to yourself, well, you know, is God even listening to my prayers? Is God even there? And you wonder, you know, with all the the scientific stuff going on, and you wonder, is he, is he, is he? Well, you come back to one thing. Did the resurrection of Jesus Christ take place? If it did, then it's all true. In fact, God now, is we understand, is powerful enough to give us the Word of God, a guidepost and a guidebook on how we can come to know God and know Him in a deeper way every day, how we live our life in wisdom. He's powerful enough to give us that. He's powerful enough for Jesus Christ to die on the cross, and it not only proves that God was able to do it, able to save us, but also willing to. He loved us enough that He died on the cross for our sins. So what does that mean for us? Well, Jesus appears to the disciples on the Emmaus Road, and then he begins to talk to them in verse 36, and we look at the relevance of it. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And they said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Doubts arise in your hearts. See my hands, my feet, that is my, this is myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. And he said, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of boiled fish. You know, usually spirits, as far as I know, can't eat boiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened the minds to understand the Scriptures. Precious. And said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness 
of sin should be proclaimed in the name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Here we find the first relevance of what we're talking about here. And that is the fact that everything, everything that's happened on the cross is real. It's real stuff. A mere man did not love you enough to die for your sins, but God in the flesh came and paid for your sins on the cross. It's like the receipt. You know, some of you sometimes go to Sam's or Costco, and I, I don't mean to advertise any, any one business here, but you go to Sam's or Costco and you buy a lot of stuff. In fact, you buy, the reason you buy so much stuff, you're saving so much money, right? I mean, there's just so much money to save. You just pile up and they don't even bag it up for you, for crying out loud. I don't know what that's all about. <clears throat> but I'm telling you, when you leave that store, what do you need in your hand? The receipt. You know, there you are. You, you've got your, some of your groceries over here, and you've got your, maybe your kid, your, your child, you're trying to hold their hand, and they, they have the audacity to ask for your receipt. And so what do you do? There it is. <laughs> Proof. I bought all this stuff. I didn't steal a thing. It's all here. That receipt, that receipt is the resurrection of Christ. It's the receipt that everything that Jesus Christ did, and he says it begins with the forgiveness of sin. Many of you perhaps today come to church, and, and sometimes you come, and maybe you only come on holidays, and even then it makes you feel under conviction or guilty. Why? Because the guilt of sin weighs upon us. But Jesus said, look, I've, I've come and I've died on the cross to pay for your sin, to, to take your place on the cross. The Bible puts it this way. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of our trespasses by canceling out the record of debt and stood against with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. The Bible says we're all guilty. And yet there's no greater gift than forgiveness. You can walk out of this, this room today. And the Bible says he'll... God will put your sins as far as the east is from the west and forgive them forever and, and never come back on you again. And I know what you're thinking. You think, well, well Pastor, I, I've been to church a lot and I've made some kind of dedication to the Lord and then I go right back and, and I've, I've, sinned, I've still sinned. And so what about my sins of the future? Folks, when Jesus died on the cross, all your sins were in the future. Every single one of them. And he can forgive you and cancel out the certificate of, of the deficit in God's economy, falling down below the, the line of perfection. He can forgive you of all your sins. But then also, it's applicable in this point. It's relevant in the fact that it gives you power to live the Christian life. Look at verse 49. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you, you are clothed with power from on high. He's talking about the Spirit of God. Jesus said, I, I need to go away from you because I'm coming back in the form of my spirit, and he's going to dwell in your heart. And the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us power to live the Christian life. Somebody says, well, I don't want to come to know Christ. I would receive Jesus even today, but I'm not sure I can live it. You can't live it until you receive Christ because only the Holy Spirit of God gives us the power to live that Christian life. And then it gives us the power to strengthen our faith. Again, we may have doubts, but when the resurrection, we look at the resurrection, we realize, no, it's all true. 
It's all true. I can rest in that. I can trust in that. And if God will do those things for me, I'm more than a conqueror through him. In fact, it says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, Pastor, you just don't know my life. You don't know my marriage. You don't know my family. I, I, I'm just, it would just take a supernatural act of God to do something in my life. And that's exactly what we're talking about this morning. I was listening to a, to a man preach, and uh, he's preaching on the book of Jonah. And he started mentioning about how some studies say that Jonah was in, inside the whale and, or the great fish. And, uh, you know, it, the Bible tells us that. And then there are accounts of people who are actually swallowed by a whale or a great fish, and they came out all white and bleached out. And I've heard these stories, and I don't know if they're really documented or not. And then you read other stories where it says it never happened at all and it could never happen. Listen, I'm very comfortable with the fact that in a natural sense it could never happen. I'm very comfortable with that. It's called a miracle, all right? There's nothing natural about God or anyone else creating something out of nothing. It's a miracle. There's nothing normal about the parting of the Red Sea. If you watched the Ten Commandments movie yesterday with that wall of water being piled up, nothing natural about that. It took a miracle. There's nothing natural about water coming from a rock, bread falling from heaven. There's nothing natural about predictive prophecy that some prophet's going to predict what's going to happen 2,000 years uh, 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 from his life. There's nothing natural at all about a woman being a virgin and giving birth to a son. The incarnation is a miracle. It's a supernatural act of God. Nothing natural about Jesus living his life perfect for 33 and a half years. There's nothing natural about him healing the sick and raising the dead. There's nothing natural about one man dying on a cross 2,000 years ago that can apply every single day to your life today. There's nothing natural about the resurre- anyone rising from the dead after three days. It happened because it's a miracle, and the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, God wants that power to live in your life today. You need a miracle in your life. You need a supernatural act in your life, and it comes through that surrender to Jesus Christ. But you're thinking, yes, but what about the afterlife? Because you know and I know that how you see your future makes all the difference in how you live your life today. And part of that future is right here on earth as God blesses your life, but part of it is in the afterlife. So what about the reward? Look within verse 51. While he blessed them, Jesus departed from them and was carried up into heaven. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, when he's talking to the church at Corinth about their own resurrection, he says Christ is like the first fruits. And then all of us will follow him like first fruits of the harvest, that's what he's saying. First fruits of the harvest, the rest of the harvest is coming in. That's us. We're going to be in heaven with him one day. And, you know, we, we all fear death, don't we? We all do. Preachers, you know, pastors sometimes do the same thing. I heard a story about three pastors discussing what they want to be remembered for. And one guy said, yeah, when the casket's there and people file by to look at you, what do you want them to remember you for? And the first guy thought, well, I'd want them to say about me that I was faithful. I was a faithful servant of the Lord. Then this guy said, well, I'd want them to say a little bit more than that. I want to say he made a difference. He made a difference in life. And the third guy said, well, I'd want them to walk by, look down, and say, look, he's moving. <laughs> you know, so 
You know, all of us fear that. And, and it's been said that we live a life without windows. We live, we go into the, the afterlife with an unknown. And we try to make death a little bit better. Bonhoeffer said, death is the final festival of a road to freedom. Thomas Hobbes, I'm going to a final journey, a great leap into the dark. Epicurus said, when you're dead, you're dead. In fact, he even said this. He said, what people fear most about death is not that it's annihilation, that is, you cease to exist, but that it's not. Because, I mean, after all, if we die and we're annihilated, we'll never know the difference. Never know. But if it's not annihilation, if there's any eternity after this, we do know. And if you believe the eyewitness reports, you know there's something more. You see, death is not our friend. Death is our enemy. Somebody says, well, life is just a part of, uh, death is just a part of life. How can you even think about that? Death and life are opposite. How can one opposite be the part of another opposite? You, you can't. Death is our enemy. And God says, I've taken away that death from you. He says, although the wages of sin is death, he says, the de- the, uh, he says, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we leave this world, because of the resurrection, we can trust there's an afterlife. We invest our lives right now in loving God and allowing Him to love us. And we love other people. We reach out to other people knowing that we're preparing ourselves for an eternal home and others as well, eternal home in heaven. You see, the power of the resurrection not only shows that God has the power to deliver in your life, but He loves you enough at the cross. He loves you enough to make it happen. So He's not only able but he's also willing. We had mission teams go on um, a trip, trips recently. We had um, a middle school, high school, college, and our elementary school kids went on a project here in Florida. And uh, they went to a children's home. And um, in this children's home, they were able to uh, minister to a lot of orphans, Minister to a lot of uh, kids that, who have been ava- abandoned, like Lawrence Punter was abandoned earlier in life. And one young lady uh, wanted to give her testimony. Angel Madden went up to the to the leaders. I'd like to I'd like to tell my story here and about the power and the love of God in my life. And the message is clear, and I want you to be paying attention, no matter where you are. Don't leave this place today without knowing the power of God loves you. God loves you. Let's watch it. Have you ever gone to a new place and didn't have any friends? Well, I think it's important to welcome people into your friend group. Be kind to them or ask them what they like and help them find a friend. I was adopted and when I was really young, my birth parents were on drugs and other things. We went from one place to another, and I didn't have any friends. We weren't really welcome. There was always yelling and fighting. I was like the mom just trying to help survive. When I was six, I went to foster care. God worked it out because I was welcome. I was safe, and there was no fighting. My best friends when I was in foster care were the ones who adopted me. I became a Christian at nine, 
and had a forever family. Now I go on mission trips. Whenever I meet someone new, I welcome them. When you show others that you care about them and show them kindness, it makes them feel, feel confident in their life. I use my old testimony to help give others hope and show the magic of love. And that no matter how bad their life might be going, it will always work out in the end. The Bible says that you can be the best person. You can pick up trash in public parks or give money to the poor. But without love, it means nothing. I love everyone. And if you are listening to this and your life isn't going well, know that you are loved by God and by me. You have hope. So always keep on moving forward. Love is the second most important thing on this earth. The first is becoming a Christian. Love everyone no matter what, and please don't walk away without knowing that you are loved. Sweet. Great word. <clears throat> don't go away from this place believing that you're not loved because you are. Now what happened to Lawrence Punter? What happened? He held those sleeping pills in his hand and he heard some talking through television. No one ever left their windows open, but that night someone did. And they had it on a gospel station, <clears throat> Christian station. Someone was preaching the gospel and said, wherever you are tonight, whatever's happening in your life, no matter how helpless you feel in life, know that God loves you, that he died on the cross for you, that you can have hope and that you can have life. And he said that, that those words and that message touched his heart. It was really meant for him. Who, who would have ever thought, what led someone to open up their windows when the gospel message was on? When he was the only one in the alley that heard the message. But God loved him enough to send that message to him. He dropped his sleeping pills he looked up to heaven, and he says, God, you're what I need. You're what I need. I've been, I've been needing you all this time. And it's from his helplessness, which was a good place for him, because in that helplessness, he turned the only one that could help him. Now, what about you today? What about you? I mean, his life's turning out well. Moved back to New York City, got married, has children, going to Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. What I, but what about you today? Where are you standing before God? You say, well, I think I can do it myself. How's that? But really, how is that really working out in your life? You know, why should you ever turn your back on your creator, the one who loved you enough to create you and the one that loved you enough to sustain you this long and the one who loved you enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for you? Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you haven't received Christ, or you don't know that if you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven. You just don't have that assurance. And until you have that assurance, it's going to affect the way you live the rest of your life. And so what about you today? What about you? With heads bowed and eyes closed, here's what I want to do. Years ago, when I was a teenager, I was by myself, and I prayed a prayer simply to receive Christ into my life. That's what Lawrence Punter did. He just simply asked God to save him. And so I'm going to ask you to pray with me now and asking God to come into your life and to save you. You can pray this prayer silently with me as I pray out loud. Let's pray.
Lord God, thank you for your love. Thank you for dying for me on the cross and rising on the third day to give me hope, to give me faith in life. I confess my sins before you, knowing it's the enemy of my soul. I ask you to forgive me of everything that I've done. And I ask Jesus to come into my heart and life to make me the person that you want me to be and the person that I've always wanted to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to the church family. And I'm not talking about necessarily cross life, just the church as a whole. And uh, I want to I want to do something here with you that I think would be very beneficial to you. The welcome card that you received when you walked through the door this morning. Now, if you're our guest, yes, we, we do want to uh, give away a free meal to a homeless person in your behalf, in your honor. And we do want to give you a special gift because it's got a couple of things in there that's going to help you spiritually as far as in the bag that we're going to give you. So we want you to have that. But if you prayed that prayer with me this morning, whether you're a guest or not, look on the back of the card. It says, my decision today I've decided to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Upper right-hand corner in the shade, green shaded area. If you prayed that prayer with me, put a little check in that box. Make sure we have the information on the front of the card that we're going to need. And we're going to send you some, make sure you get some material in your hands that will share with you how you can really uh, maximize the power of God in your life and maximize your relationship with God. So you go ahead and do that. We're going to pray here in just a minute. If you have other things, other decisions you have made, questions that you have, prayer requests on the back, that's for everyone, everyone participating that would want to participate. And then um, even if you put your card in the offering plate and you're a guest, you can always go back to the table and just tell them, the pastor told me to put my, my, my card in the plate, and so I don't have one, but um, we want you to have that gift, all right? It's going to have a couple of really good, uh, good things in there for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for all that you've given us. I pray that, God, we would just respond to you and uh, this morning with this uh, decision card, this welcome card. And then, God, I pray that uh, as we continue to worship here in just a few moments, that you would give us grace and you would give us a sense of celebration as we go out here with new life in our veins. And, God, I pray for the offering that we're about to receive right now, that you would bless it, God. Help us to continue to do mission trips, continue to help people uh, in our area, continue to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.